Good morning. And is it, isn't that great? You got, I'm having a blast. I hope you guys are having fun. Man, that's just good. Uh, we're going to dive right in to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're kind of in the middle of a section. And before we jump in, two things I want to just bring back to uh, your mind. Remember, the Bible is written uh, not in chapters and verses in its original form. It's just one letter. That sometimes uh, messes with us when we think about context for what we're reading. We give a little bit more weight to uh, that, oh, it's a new chapter, it's a new thought. This isn't really quite like that. This is the same flowing thought through this letter. And so uh, we're going to spend a lot of time this morning around context. And so as we do, I'm going to teach a lot through this. We'll get to the end, bring in some application, but you're going to need to hang with me a little bit as we walk through this section. So 1 Peter chapter 3, we'll begin in verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Our living hope that we've been wrestling with and examining as we walk through 1 Peter, our living hope saturates every aspect of our life all of it. Therefore, as elect exiles, we will respond differently to the world around us. We will respond differently to the authority structures that we find ourselves in, whether that be in government, whether that be to our masters or our husbands in this case. Even our gender roles have a connection to this living hope, all of it flowing back to who God is, elect exiles living for the Lord's sake in every aspect of their life. Now, no time in history has gender been more debated or distorted than perhaps right now. And so I'm not going to insult us by asking if gender matters. We know gender matters. There is a difference between men and women. I mean, denying that isn't just rejecting some point of faith. It really is rejecting a revealed, a tested, a proven reality. But there is a question that we need to ask. How does it matter? Not if it matters, again, we know that it does, but how does it matter? And this week, as we really the next two weeks, as we walk through this section, these seven verses over the next two weeks, and we talk about wives and husbands, to come alongside of that, our church is really going to hold up something called men and women of living hope. 
And so there's some communities around this idea of biblical womanhood that work through this week, biblical manhood that work through next week. Right after this service in the outpost at 11 o'clock, there is a great community on biblical womanhood. Go there. It's a guided Bible study to let you kind of talk through some of these things. Come back on Wednesday. There's two more there. Uh, again, a bunch next week. You'll see all that, tcbchurch.org news. Go there, check it out. But also want to do something fun for you guys. Today's the last day you can RSVP if you need childcare for a date night Friday. One of the things we want to do is facilitate our couples actually getting together and talking about the things of the Lord. And so it's not cumbersome, but we have a small workout. It's just a way to help guide a conversation for you and your spouse to go out, have a date night, and talk about the things of the Lord. And somebody like, Daniel, you don't know. I got like 16 kids. That doesn't happen in our house. We will help you. And so we're providing complimentary child care, but you need to RSVP. You'll figure all that out again, tcbchurch.org news. Today's the last day. Don't miss that. All right? Go out, have a date night, talk about the things of the Lord. But how does it matter whether you're a man or a woman in this case? Well, according to Scripture, it depends. It depends. If you're talking about value or worth, well, it doesn't matter at all. Because our value and worth is in no percentage point connected to our gender. Our value and worth is in connection to the Creator and the Creator alone. All of our value, all of our worth is found in Him. We are the creation. He is the creator. But if we're talking about our calling or our role, well, this is a foundational expression of our conduct instituted before the fall and mentioned here by Peter in probably its most notable form, husband and wife. And so it matters in the way we function, in the way we carry out our specific calling and the roles that have been set apart for us. But it doesn't matter in the sense of our value and our worth. These are anchored in who the creator is. And so when we approach this, we've got to balance those two things. You'll even see how that happens again in this context with Peter. So just get something. If Peter is writing to these elect exiles, how they are to conduct themselves in their world, specifically in a world with unjust authority. Of course he is going to speak to gender. Of course he is going to speak to women. Of course he will speak to wives. And so our big truth we'll see as we go through the text, wives live for the Lord's sake. Wives live for the Lord's sake. Now, I'll go ahead and let you in on something. Next week we're going to come back. And we're going to see that husbands, too, live for the Lord's sake. But let's kind of chase this and stay in these first six verses uh, this morning. Verse 1 begins, likewise, wives. Peter, again, writing to the elect exiles about submission to authority. Remember, that's the context. It, it really isn't even, in this sense, marriage being the context. That's a subpoint. It's an example of what's happening here in a larger section. The elect exiles are called to submit themselves 
to these authorities. Verse 13 of chapter 2, Peter writes, Be subject, here's our main context we'll see throughout, for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Be subject, for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And if you've been here, we've walked through a few of those examples that Peter's held out. We talked about government. You see that in verses 13 and 14. And we talked about servants who, Peter writes, are to be subject to your masters with all respect. Not only the good and the gentle ones, but also the unjust ones. This context continues into our text today. And so as we think about it, wives in your marriage for the Lord's sake. Second thing we got to note is we have to catch this kind of obvious oppressive theme that's in this section. It's an oppressive theme. See, these elect exiles suffer living in submission under what is often unjust authority structures. They're suffering in that. And yet their conduct points to something beyond themselves and beyond their circumstance. They live in a world in which they have been redeemed. They are elected out of. It is not their home. They do not belong. And there is suffering in this world. There is brokenness around it. There's not just just authority structures. There's also unjust authority structures. And they suffer within those. And yet their conduct, points to something beyond themselves, beyond their suffering, and beyond their circumstance. They live for the Lord's sake. That's our primary point, living for the Lord's sake under unjust authority. We've been seeing that play out over the last few weeks. And that's the reason, by the way, I think that you have six verses that are speaking primarily to wives and one that begins to mention the husbands. And truth be told, the verse that mentions the husband is as much about the wives still as it is the husband. Again, the reason for that is this oppressive culture and understanding that it is way more common for a wife in her role to find herself suffering under the unjust authority of a broken husband. And we're talking about these elect exiles and how they are to respond in such a setting. And so our primary point here, live for the sake of the Lord. It says, so likewise, like the citizen who is persecuted, like the servant who is subject to his or her master with all respect, and not just the good ones, but also the unjust ones, the ones who not only beat you when you sin, but the ones who beat you for doing good. Meaning, when the government oppresses you, your response is driven for the Lord's sake. When the master oppresses you, your response is driven For the Lord's sake. When your husband oppresses you, likewise, wives, your response is for the Lord's sake. Doesn't that get real and fast? 
See, to this point, when we talk about the government or we talk about masters, it's like out there. But when we begin to talk about our marriages, that hits home. That's our everyday life. And our minds immediately run to all of these what-if scenarios. But what if? What if? And just a quick rabbit to chase, and I hope this helps you as you begin to study the text and you meditate on the principles and the truths of God's word. The Bible doesn't have a thou shalt for every scenario. It doesn't teach us that way. I mean, whether great or small, you're not going to find a thou shalt for every scenario. Trust me, my wife has been turning the pages of Scripture for years trying to find a thou shalt for husbands who leave their diet Dr. Pepper cans laying everywhere. Whether small or great, you're not going to find just these lists of circumstances. And for whatever foolishness my opinion is worth, I think the reason behind that is to keep us from the temptation of making our circumstance the subject. See, our circumstance isn't the subject. At the heart of the elect exile is a hope that is beyond their circumstance. See, Peter points us to a living hope in Jesus. For his sake, the Lord's sake, we live. And in him, there is wisdom For every circumstance, sufficient for every circumstance, whether in gain or in loss, whether in comfort or in suffering. Therefore, our respect, our honoring conduct isn't to the people that are involved, and it's not even to the circumstances that we're in. But it's a 24-7 testimony of worship unto the Lord. This is why I think Paul writes to the Corinthians, for the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. I find it well with my soul. Because my life is anchored in a hope beyond the circumstances of this world. goes on he says likewise wives now wives in scripture is always associated with physical sex gender it's always female wives are female in scripture they're younger than what we're accustomed to uh most women were married around the age of 13 to 16 i mean i have an 11 year old 12 year old i'm going man that is that is quick uh i thought i was married fast i, w- I was married at 19 i mean 13 is, is, is young. Mary was almost certainly a young teenager uh, when she has Jesus. I mean, we begin to think about this, and it's important because when we read in the New Testament and we see mo- so much written to wives, you have to understand, this is the vast majority of their culture. There weren't a lot of like 20-something singles that are running around. And so there is something to glean generally back to womanhood when we see wives. But I want to warn you specifically in this passage, note Peter's specific language to submission. He says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. One, be subject 
two to your own husbands. Let's break it down. First one, he says, be subject. It means to put yourself under. It means submit. Now, Paul helps us here a little bit because Paul is the same person that writes, there is no male or female in Christ Jesus in Galatians chapter 3. He also writes and commands wives to submit to their husbands in Ephesians chapter 5. Say, well, what's happening here? Well, it's the same thing that we talked about in the beginning this morning, that submission doesn't mean less value or less worth. Our value and our worth are directly connected to who God is. And not only that, but just be mindful that submission is a common charge given to all of us throughout Scripture. We are all called to submit. James chapter 4, verse 7, submit yourselves, everyone, therefore to God. In our context here, Peter says the same thing. Chapter 2, verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. I remember one time I had a conversation, and I don't even remember how we got there, but, you know, we're in East Tennessee, and so they, they kind of bowed up a little bit. You could see their shoulders get a little bigger, and, the, the, you know, the redneck came out a little bit in a moment, and they go, I submit to no man but Jesus. And I, I sometimes lack tact. Does that happen to anybody else? I don't mean to, I, I really, and I just kind of responded back off the top of my head with truth, but didn't really think of how to couch it, and I just said, well, then you don't res- submit to Jesus. Oh, man, they were mad about that, but that's true. Jesus has set before us under authorities, and he's called us to submit to them. Submission isn't just something for women. It's something for all of us, and it's even more so true for the believer because we realize that there is an ultimate authority. These aren't just peer-level structures. There is a creator, and we know him, and he takes honor in our submission that points to him. Say, but what does that look like? I mean, we hear submission all the time, and To what end? Do do I just obey everything they do? What does that look like? How do I know what that even begins to mean? I think this is one of the great places in Scripture to find the context for that. The Lord's sake. Remember that? For the Lord's sake to every human institution. The Lord's sake gives us a qualifier. It's an absolute audience. In other words, I do not worship another God because it honors an earthly authority. It would not have been uncommon in their day for a woman to have an arranged marriage, to go into another setting, another culture, and the expectation was she would adopt his God. That's not submission for the Lord's sake. See, we're not talking about blind obedience. We have a clear absolute that's given to us. Whether that's the government, whether that's the servant, whether that's in your workplace, or whether that's in your marriage, your submission is first and foremost unto the Lord. It is for his sake. 
And so we do not reject the absolutes of who he is or who he has set us apart to be for the earthly authority. That breaks. You see that with the apostles even in Acts chapter 4, verse 19. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. Verse 20, to their authorities, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. For the Lord's sake was the absolute that drove their submission. So let me give you a kind of a, a thought here. Be subject, give submissive respect that emphasizes the honor of the earthly authority over my freedoms as an elect exile. Let me say it again. Be subject, give submission or submissive respect that emphasizes the honor of the earthly authority over my freedoms as an elect exile, but not over my belonging to the one true God who is my ultimate authority. You say, well, where do you get this idea for freedoms, this setting aside of your personal will, your freedoms to show respect to the earthly authority? Where's that here? I'll give you two ways you can see that beyond just the full counsel of Scripture. First, back to verse 16, chapter 2, Peter writes, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. In this context of submission, there is the recognition that you have freedom. You have been adopted out of this broken world. You don't belong. It's not your home. Your position in Christ is secure. You've been set free. But not free unto yourselves. Free for the Lord's sake. So your personal will, your freedoms, don't take precedent over him. And what difference are those things to you? Because in your very saving faith, you acknowledge left the self is death. But all life, value, worth, purpose is in Jesus. So we let go. We put those things off and we put on the full stature of Christ and our sanctification. Another good example of this is modesty, which we're going to see as a sub-point in the verses coming up. We'll see that in verse 4. Modesty is a great example of how freedom works. Because, just be honest, Modesty is outward focused. If you're home in your house by yourself, you can wear whatever you want to wear. See, it shows honor to the conservative norms of the culture. It shows honor outside of self. The argument, well, it's my body, it's my freedom, I can wear what I want, is a broken definition of modesty. Because this view prioritizes self. It's my body, my freedom, I'll do what I want. And so your will is above the submissive honoring. Your prioritization of personal freedom is over showing respect to earthly authority for the Lord's sake. 
That's the heart behind modesty. It's outward. And if you don't think that's a real struggle for us to lay down our freedoms, regardless where you're at on any of those debates, just think back over the last couple of years with COVID. Oh, man, are we quick to tell back to our authority about what we think our personal freedoms are? It's a hard thing for us. And so if you're sitting there and you're listening as a husband, you're going, yeah, wives, you need to realize that's hard for us. Be subject. We give submissive respect that emphasizes the honor of earthly authority over my freedoms as an elect exile. Our living hope is in something more important than our freedom for the Lord's sake. Second, he says, wives, to your own husband. This isn't females to male. You can't take what we're taking or we're reading here and just go, every female should submit to every male. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that at all. Peter makes it clear. And I think that clarity is helpful because it, there is a little trickiness if you really begin to study it because the same word that's used for wife is the same word that's used essentially for female. But it's the context that makes it so very clear here, and we see that throughout the pages of Scripture. And so in this case, wives, place yourself under, submit your freedoms to honor your husband. Why? Well, the primary reason, again, back to verse 13, chapter 2, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. But Peter's going to give a second reason. And it's one I want to encourage you with. And I want over the next few minutes to just let this sink in. If you're here, a child of God, married, listen to what I'm about to say and be encouraged. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct. Peter brings clarity to the recipients, like immediate question. But what if my husband is unjust? What if he doesn't follow the word? What if my husband is just wrong? They don't obey. They don't pursue Jesus. They're not a Christ follower. It's hard enough to put oneself under someone that we deem just. But man, it's unnatural to put ourselves under someone who is unjust. Why would we do such a thing? Well, for the Lord's sake. But Peter gives a second reason, and it's this, that your conduct, for the Lord's sake, is a powerful proclamation and one that can win others. It is a powerful testimony that can have an eternal impact on a lost husband. And if on a lost husband, others who will bear witness it is a powerful proclamation. What makes this conduct so powerful? That they see your respectful and pure conduct. Pure conduct just simply means unto the Lord. Your conduct for the Lord's sake. Your conduct not for self, not for your freedoms, but your conduct unto the Lord. They see it, it's authentic, it's real. It matches what you profess. What you do is lining up with what you say. It has a transforming work in you. You are undivided 
respectful, it, it, it means in fear of. It's the same word we get phobia from. Watch. Not in fear of your husband. Not in fear of your husband, but a fear unto the Lord. For the Lord's sake. First Peter chapter 2, verse 17. Again, the context. Honor everyone. Fear God. That reverence that realizes your life is in the Lord and anything that you can do that points attention to him, that draws attention away from yourself and instead points attention to the one who redeemed you, the one where all value and worth is found. See, this is the heart behind our fear, behind our reverence, behind our honor. To make less of self and more of Jesus. To point to him in every aspect of our life. In every authority structure we would find ourselves in. To make much of Jesus. Because wives, in doing so, your conduct will honor your husband for the Lord's sake in such a way. That they'll know is beyond them. There's something very convicting when my wife shows me submissive honor. You know what that is? I know I am a wretch. I know I don't deserve it. I know I'm broken. I know I'm flawed. And maybe early on, I might just say, man, she is something special. She's great. And I might make it about her. But as time goes on, and I see the transformation and growth in her that bridges out in the way she shows honor to her husband, to her boss, to her government, to the authority structures that are around her, I realize something. She isn't living for me in the best way possible. She isn't living for her boss, and she isn't living for her nationality or her government. She is living in a pursuit for the sake of the Lord. And it is transforming her. And it gives testimony, not just to her, but to the work of God inside of her. It's powerful. You see it. It changes lives. And so wives live for the Lord's sake. And over the next few verses, we see one really just, I think, beautiful, big idea that is unpacked that wives who live for the Lord's sake adorn themselves with imperishable beauty. Verse 3, 
Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And how you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Wives who live for the Lord's sake adorn themselves with imperishable beauty. Peter makes just this immediate point of implication, and he points to the wives adorning. And you can't help but see this immediate contrast of a wife who is living for this world who is living for self and living for the circumstances of the day, who adorn their appearance. They adorn the appearance versus the wife who is living in a hope that is beyond, who is adorning and making much of the heart. Verse 3 says, do not let your adorning be external. And then essentially Peter goes through a list, the no braiding of hair, the no jewelry, the no clothes. Sometimes it gets a bad interpretation here, that this idea of, well, see, you can't wear any jewelry, no jewelry for me. But the truth in the matter is, like, those people are usually wearing clothes, and that's the way the Greek reads it. And I'm telling you that it's really important because I want you to make sure this isn't some legalistic list, that it's an absolute. You wear clothes, that's a good thing, keep wearing clothes. The idea here is this excessive pursuit of making much of the outward appearance. I think probably we would be better to chase motive in this, but it doesn't really matter. Either way, there is a great temptation to self-deceive. But there is a heart behind this that Peter is pointing to. Those who live with a living hope in Christ Jesus want to make much of him. Therefore, the transformational work in their heart. Those who are still living for self in this world want to make much of themselves. And you see this breakdown here. It's those who would adorn the appearance, who would focus themselves to emphasize the outward presentation. Peter says, the external. The external. It's an illusion. By the way, it's your work. You're the one who's doing it. On the other hand, there is the adorning of the heart that is an inward testimony. It's the hidden person of the heart, as Peter says. It's real. It's growing. Watch. It's the Lord's work. One is making much of God's work in you, this transformational work. The other one is making much of your work. The adorning of the appearance is temporary. It's fleeting. It's diminishing. Meanwhile, the adorning of the heart is imperishable. It is an imperishable beauty, Peter says. It's compounding, it builds, it grows week over week, month over month as the Spirit works within you to transform you more and more into the image of his son, Jesus. The adorning of the appearance is 
for self's sakes. It's making you look good. I mean, that's why you're doing it. It's to make you look good. You become the subject. Meanwhile, the adorning of the heart is for the Lord's sake. In God's sight, Peter says, it is very precious. So listen, you, you can braid your hair. You can wear jewelry and put on makeup. You can wear nice clothes. But your heart should be the focus of your adornment. It should be the priority of your presentation. Because it houses the very work of God in you. It is pointing to Jesus that is beyond yourself, that is beyond the circumstance of the day. And therefore, it's a great example here that Peter uses. He goes on in verse 5, and he talks about how the holy women of old who hoped in God. Do you see this theme, this who hoped in God for the Lord's sake? It's driven by that, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves by the submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Sarah is held up here as an example. And I I think if you know the story, the reference goes back to where the Lord is telling Abraham that he will have a son in his old age. And if you remember, Sarah is listening through the tent, and she laughs to herself. Remember that? But in verse 12 of Genesis chapter 18, it says, So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out, and my Lord speaking of her husband, is old. I think it just took Peter that Sarah in this moment of even like this kind of frustrated disbelief, all this stuff that's going on, didn't just be like, and that dude is so old, but still showed him the respect and the honor to call him her Lord. Say, why? Why? Why does this matter? What do you want me to do with all of this? Hear me. I want you to use the powerful proclamation of your life to make much of Jesus. I want you to be encouraged that through your quiet and gentle spirit, you can change lives forever. I I want you to be reminded that through a submissive spirit unto the Lord, for the Lord's sake, your unbelieving husband might be redeemed through your testimony. That the gospel, the transformative work of the spirit in you would be on display and life-changing for him. And if that is true, I want you to be encouraged by the implication of the same reality that your believing husband can be built up into the pursuit of Christ-likeness more and more, day over day, through the powerful proclamation 
severe submissive spirit that makes much of Jesus. I want you to be encouraged to know that your daughters can see the gospel of Jesus and your submissive spirit at home. I'm raising a little girl. I long for her to go to a church where the women of the church are more consumed with the adorning of their heart than the external adorning of their appearance. You say, what does that mean? It means in our student ministries, in our kids' ministries, they talk about the times their mom set aside to be in the Word. And instead of hearing all the excuses of why they don't have time, but yet they got 30 minutes to put on their makeup every day, if they had to choose between one or the other, they're going to choose their heart. That that kind of pursuit of honoring and living for the Lord's sake would raise up a generation of young girls who would make much of Jesus. That boys who grow up in those homes would begin to understand what a godly woman might look like and what they might pursue. I want you to know this powerful proclamation that is within you can grow Christ's church. It's part of the edification, the building up of one another, and it's all right there in front of you. Be encouraged. You are not called to just submit under your husband or under your bosses or your masters or the government for some circumstantial thing. But God has called us to these things for his sake, that we might be part of his work, that the glory of his son Jesus might be made known in our homes, in our workplaces, and among the nations. Be encouraged. It's a powerful, powerful proclamation that you have in your life. I'm going to ask you to take a moment and bow your head. And as we go into a time of response and a time of song, just want to remind you, the main point is for the Lord's sake. Not because you are somehow adding or increasing to your righteousness. No, that is in Jesus, not in part, but in full. Not because somehow God needs you to bring something to his table. But we live for the Lord's sake because we understand as his children that all life is in him. Purpose, value, worth in him and in him alone. And so our lives are an act of worship that we gladly bring before him. And as the team plays and we transition into a time of response, if you're here and there's never been a point in time in your life where you acknowledge that left to self, there is death. But through the sacrificial love of Jesus on a cross who would take on your sin, 
that he might give you his life through faith. If there's never been a transformational work of the Spirit in you to that end, I just want to encourage you, even as we sing, out these doors to the left, there's an area called the hub. There are people there who would love to talk to you. At the end of the service, stop by. Just say, you know, I don't, I don't quite understand this living for the sake of Jesus, finding life in him. Respond to the love of Christ this morning. And finally, for those of you who are here, redeemed wives, be encouraged. Be encouraged. You have a powerful, powerful testimony of proclamation in front of you. Ask the Lord to continue to do a work in you that you might be faithful to proclaim the excellencies of God. Heavenly Father, may your word bring us wisdom. May it transform our actions and our lives. And most of all, Lord, may it bring you glory and honor. We praise you in Jesus' name.